Let us turn to Mark 13. I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 23 once again this week with a little bit more focus this week on the tribulation mentioned in 19. Last week we meant we focused upon the abomination of desolation in verse 14. Listen carefully to holy infallible word of God. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, that the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it will not happen in winter, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. He then, and then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect, but be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, let us hear the word of Christ. It is a warning in his day of a situation that will occur, but help us to understand how important it is that we worship the Lord Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth, that our worship would always be reverent unto his name and that our hearts and our minds would be committed always to Jesus, our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew have been anxious to receive the sign when the wonderful stones and the wonderful buildings of the temple will be thrown down upon each other. Although Christ does not provide a date in the first 13 verses, in verse 14, he clearly indicates to these disciples that it will occur in their lifetime when he says that they will see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not 
to be. Combining the words of our Savior with the prophecies found in Daniel, these disciples, soon to be apostles, will come to see this abomination of desolation, this most outrageous blasphemy against God take place in the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. It will take place by the Roman forces who will stand where they ought not to be, to be in the temple. By the unfolding of God's providential hand in history, we now know that the date when this occurred was 70 AD. Christ's prophetic voice is declaring what is going to happen to the temple, and it surely comes to pass. Do not miss here that as Mark unfolds the identity of Christ before the disciples and to us, the reader, remember their parentheses there, that Jesus also holds the office of prophet. Yes, Christ is the prophet that the Lord will rise up who is like Moses. And when this day comes, Christ the prophet speaks of its occurrence and how the people should respond to the Lord's judgment upon this most outrageous blasphemy against him that will take place in the temple, in Jerusalem, by the Roman forces. God's judgment should not be mysterious to us. In view of God's judgment upon repulsive sinful activity among the human race, the disciples and ourselves remember Sodom and Gomorrah recorded in Genesis 19. The plagues that the Lord brought upon the Egyptians. But a closer resemblance is the judgment upon the children of Judah in the siege of Jerusalem by the Babylonians because of the abominations of idolatry throughout the land and in the temple. We read a portion of that from 2 Kings this morning. But God's judgment by the Babylonians upon the apostasy and barren worship of Judah is not going to be the final execution by the Lord upon their corrupt reverence for the Lord's gracious treatment to them. No, the tribulation not witnessed before even, even in the days of the Babylonian siege of Jerusalem, the king's palace and the temple is about to be launched by the Lord upon Israel as well as the Gentile world of Rome occupying Jerusalem. The abomination of blasphemy against the Lord and the Lord's response to tribu of tribulation will be so devastating that Christ states that it has never been seen before on the face of the earth, nor Will it be witnessed again? Why? Why? Because unlike Judah, in the days of God's judgment by the army of Nebuchadnezzar, 
the children of Judah will return after their captivity in Babylon and they will rebuild Jerusalem and they will rebuild the temple. However, after the tribulation described by Christ here in our text, any attempt to reconstruct the Old Testament temp temple is futile because the true temple in its cornerstone has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ and now resides in heaven where no contamination of the temple and its cornerstone can be executed, can be captured. It is free, it is free from the abomination of blasphemy, the elect of the Lord's people have been waiting for this day and it has finally arrived. Christ has now has been ex in an exalted position to going into the heavenly holy of holies. As Matthew tells us, the curtain in the temple has been ripped in half. There is no need for temple sacrifices anymore. There is no need to come for earthly, priestly intercession. There is no need for any of those things instituted by the Lord in the Old Testament temple to be practiced at all because Christ has fulfilled it all. Yes, he has. Christ has fulfilled it all. Yeah. Christ has accomplished, he has fulfilled all of this as the once and for all unblemished sacrificial lamb of God for his chosen people. His blood alone cleanses, the, cleanses his people from all their sin because the blood of bulls and goats does not match the lifeblood of one who possesses the perfect atoning lifeblood of a human, the Christ who is fully God and fully man. As we mentioned last Lord's Day, the Jewish blasphemous actions in their own temple is presently the most grievous offense against God because the Son of God has, has come and by his death, resurrection, and his ascension, he is already in the eternal heavenly temple of the Lord while the Jewish leadership is desecrating, is desecrating, Everything that has pointed to God's fulfilling, saving work for sinners. So the judgment is going to arrive upon those who defile the name of our Lord and his covenant of grace. So as the tribulation arrives, arrives in 70 AD, Christ issues a command that those in Judea flee, flee, flee.
flee to the mountains, verse 14. Interestingly, Jerusalem, Jerusalem itself is situated in the mountains. And at this time, it is pictured, and at times, excuse me, it is pictured in the Old Testament as a place of refuge and protection for the people of God. Well, on this occasion, Jesus does not picture Jerusalem as a place of refuge, as a place of protection. In fact, Christ tells them to flee to other mountains, the closest other mountain range within Judea would be the Transjordan Mountains. Jesus states the urgency of the flight on behalf of the people as God's judgment is about to arrive. There is no time to waste. People must respond quickly. And Christ means quickly. Christ continues with the command. If you are on the rooftop, you are to go down from the roof and not enter your house to get anything out of it and take it with you. Verse 15. Why would a person be on the rooftop, you may ask. Yes, it is possible that someone may be doing maintenance on the roof, but most likely Christ is thinking at this time in terms of a practice, a practice of praying at midday on the rooftop. The roof was reached by stairs on the outside of the house and not the inside. Hence Christ's directive not to enter the house to get any of one's possessions. The person's life is precious over against being caught by God's judgment. Next, Christ says, if a person is out in the field tending their own parcel of land, Christ once again gives a command. As the situation is urgent. This person must flee to the mountains without going back for their cloak, their garment. Even if there is bad weather, they must forget the garment. You must urgently flee, says Jesus. Do not delay. And we must not forget the woman who are with child. Those who are nursing infants. Pray that the tribulation of God's judgment will not occur in winter, verses 17 and 18. This applies not only to the women who are to give birth to children and nursing infants, but it applies also to those in the field and those on the rooftops. Why is this such an important prayer request for an event that will so suddenly occur at a certain moment by God's choosing. And don't forget here that as Christ is outlining these things that are going to occur, and as he commands the actions that they are, must take, he will eventually reveal that only the Father knows the day when these things are to occur in verse 32 
ahead of us. So prayer is his command that they must enter for the sake of it not occurring in winter. To repeat, why is winter such a concern for Christ? Because in winter, from the heavy rains, the streams can be very high with rapid flow, making it almost impossible to cross those streams. How can they flee to the mountains then? Christ is essentially demanding that they enter prayer so that when the time comes to flee, they will not face, not be faced with the difficult effects of the winter weather. Now hold on to that. Hold on to what Christ is saying here in verses 8, 14b through 18. We will return to this in our final exhortation of this message. Meanwhile, let us be sure about the time of the tribulation, which Christ speaks about here in verse 19. The reason for making some clear observations here is because of the false teaching of dispensationalism that has infected so many fellow Christians, many of whom... I am sure you befriend who can lead you astray. Let me encourage you, love them, befriend them in Christ, but be on watch against being led astray. In our last message, we made the connection between the abomination of desolation in verse 14 and the tribulation here in verse 19. The tribulation occurs in 70 AD when the blasphemy against the true God in the Jewish temple is brought under God's judgment. Yes, the Jewish leadership had desecrated the true worship designed by God in the institution that pointed to the only means by which sinners can have saving faith saving faith in Jesus Christ. Now that Christ, the true and final temple, the cornerstone, who is so wonderful to our eyes, is in heaven. The last judgment upon their sacrilegious temple has come. Yes, many dispensationalists set up a complex timeline just prior to Christ's second coming about an antichrist abomination, verse 14. The tribulation, verse 19. In the rapture, possible reference connection to verse 20. Besides what I have already placed before you, in last week's message and summarized this morning on the connection between verses 14 and 19. The verbs Christ is using is predominantly in the present tense. The present lifetime of these disciples in the apostolic church. 
Christ is stressing that there will be a present urgency to act, a command to flee. Christ's plea to flee implies clearly a crisis in present history, not the end of history at his second coming. Otherwise, the plea to, to flee would be useless. Why flee if everything is coming to a final end right now? The second coming. Also, verse 19 is a close citation of a portion that is found in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. I read that to you this morning in terms of our assurance of pardon. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been, see, has been since there was a nation till that time. What is interesting is that Jesus adds a phrase that is not in Daniel in Mark 13, 19. The phrase that Jesus asks, adds is this, and never will be, never will be. Simply put, the tribulation that Christ references in verse 19 is not the final end. Time and history will be extended beyond the tribulation that he mentions here. This tribulation is going to occur in the present lifetime of the apostles. And no event in history, not even the second coming of Christ, will compare to it after it occurs in 70 AD. These are Christ's words, not Daniel's and not mine. So, O oh, congregation, continue forward with the words, Christ's words that are found there in verse 20. Christ, the prophet, knows the end of his prophetic words. For the sake of the Lord's covenant oath to his elect, those who live by saving faith, the days of execution of his judgment upon the false religion within the Jewish temple will be cut short by God's sovereign grace. Otherwise, no, he says, no human being would be saved, would be delivered from the Lord's judgment. Once again, do not miss that the tribulation is not the signal that the church is in the period of Christ's second coming. To repeat, we are within the lifetime of the apostles. God will cut short the tribulation. It's going to be limited to the days of 70 AD. At this point, Christ provides these future apostles a warning as evangelists at this time. Don't believe anyone who says, look, look, here or there is the Christ. 
These false Christs and false prophets are going to be all over the place at this time to lead astray, if possible, the elect, verse 21 and 22. As Christians in the Reformed tradition, you may be puzzled by Christ's language here. Is it possible for those who are truly elect to be led astray? In terms of the Lord's eternal decree, no. No. However, Christ is speaking here to these future apostles who will not know who the elect are. Only the Lord knows who the elect are. Hence, when they pastor in the church, they need to tell all the people in Christ's church to watch out. Be on guard. Do not be led astray as if it is possible for the elect to be led astray. He's speaking here of the corporate body, the corporate body of the church. After all, as Daniel 12:1 goes on to say for our comfort beautifully, at that time your people shall be delivered, every person Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Yes, those written in the book, the elect, the book of eternal life, referenced by Paul in Philippians 4, Revelation 21, for a few references. Are we grasping? who Jesus is commanding to flee the great judgment upon those blaspheming his sacred name in worship. Those who are being told to flee are the chosen, the elect in his saving grace, those who embrace Christ by repenting for their sin and believing upon him as his only, their only savior. Christ is not picturing such people here as the Jewish revolutionary zealots against the pagan force of Rome, trying to purify Jerusalem and the temple from the occupation of Roman Gentile infiltration. That's not what Jesus has in mind here. Christ is not picturing such people as the Jewish leadership here who like, who like to label their desecration of the temple as being righteous in their own eyes. Remember their confrontation with Jesus. No, Christ's concern here is for the common person. The common person. The future common Christian in the apostolic church who humbly prays 
each day on the rooftop. Praying upon the rooftop. The believer in Christ also who is being diligent in his daily labor in the field, providing for his covenant household. The mother-to-be and the mother who is nursing their infant. This is the structure and life of the covenant household of the Lord Jesus Christ in the apostolic church. On that day, they, these people, will embrace his command because the word of Christ means life and not judgment. The word of Christ means life not judgment. The believer's life will be consistent, will be consistent to Christ's command for a life of, and don't miss this important point as we go forward, a life of discipleship. A life of discipleship, leaving all and following the word of the Lord because the word of the Lord means life. Verses 21 and 22 of chapter 10. Yes, indeed. They will leave their house behind. They will leave their field and cloak, their possessions behind, and flee in order to live by Christ's word. Now, do not miss the complete covenant household. It is so, so crucial here. The pregnant and the nursing mothers and the children. These mothers are fleeing to sustain their children in covenant obedience to the words of Jesus Christ. These mothers must not hesitate. They must not delay bringing their lives and the lives of their children to the safety of Christ and the new covenant. Yes, through the Holy Spirit, they embrace Christ's words in this time of urgency. Christ's arms are spiritually blessing them and their children. Remember the aspect of Christ taking the children in his arms. Continue that theme right into this. It's crucial. For such, you see, belongs the kingdom of God. Chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. 
those who flee and hear on the basis of hearing the word of Christ will live. They are the ones who hear and leave everything behind to follow Jesus unto life. Let me encourage you this morning. Embrace Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength so that your life is always the product of blessing as he preserves you in his love and in his grace. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, thou hast acted. And we know that thou art the one who saved thy people, your true people, on that day of judgment. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would not be so taken to just leave that in the past, but we would see the underlining principles of what it means to follow Christ in this world. The oppositions that we also face each day that we must love thee with all our heart, soul, and mind and as those who are called to be followers, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ that our hearts would be set upon him and leave all behind for the sake of him. Bless us in our journey here on earth. In Christ's name, amen.